I mentioned a uh, need in a sippy cup just a time or two last week. <coughs> Here we go. All right. Thank you, dear. Welcome, everyone. If you're new here or first time or a few times, uh, we just welcome you here. Glad that you're here and uh, glad that you're here during this time of the season uh, where we get to celebrate Jesus, right? Amen? Amen. It's awesome to sing about the fact that, that uh, we don't have to be stuck in life uh, and, and, and unable, uh, that there's no way possible to overcome the issues in our life, right? Like, that's what I'm really thankful for. That's what I am really get excited about, that Jesus overcame everything in our lives that would be an obstacle. Amen? Now, we have a fellow that's here, and I was going to mention a couple, because we've had a, a couple of people express that kind of trust, express, express that type of faith, for the very first time in the last week or so. Amen? Robbie, would you just stand up? I'm not going to ask you to say anything. I don't want to make you nervous. But Robbie's a new guy to our fellowship. But he's a new guy to the family of Christ. Just as if Friday night. And uh, I, I want to tell just the part that, just the, the intro part. He says, he says, can I talk to you? This was yesterday morning after men's breakfast. Can I talk to you? I need to really talk to you about something. And. And uh, I'll leave it up to you guys to get to build relationship with Robbie. But Robbie's really in the midst of overcoming a lot of hurdles in life. And, uh, and so I thought maybe that's what he'd want to talk about. And uh, so as we sat down, he says, well, he says, <clears throat> he says, Friday night, I really had to know. And correct me if I'm wrong. You feel free to just belt it out. But he said, I really had to know whether I'm a Christian or not. And so in a kind of a late night conversation with Brock, he said, well, actually, it was kind of in the middle of the night. It was a 2 a.m., and God, God does amazing things sometimes in the middle of the night. He says that's where he very first trusted Christ as his Savior and put his uh, hope and confidence in him and not in what he can do in this life. And so welcome to the family, brother. We're excited to have you and uh, glad that you're here. We don't think that it's by accident that you've come to Addy or anybody, really. Uh, we're going to get into, there's a verse right in the very passage that we're reading today that says exactly that, that it's not by random chance. Uh, it's actually by God's design uh, that we are where we are, and He has created us in the way that He's created us with, uh, with purpose and intent. That's the Lord's plan. If you have no idea where we're going, last week, I'll just give you a little bit. Uh, actually, let's pause for a second, um, and let's pray for people throughout our nation that have really been impacted uh, by these tornadoes, these severe weather. Uh, if you want a little update, uh, those of you that know that our middle daughter, Morgan, who's on her way home uh, and was traveling across the country, she, she escaped the tornado zone by several hundred miles, um, which was good. But she got hung up in that snowstorm that went through South Dakota, and her and Becca Thompson had to uh, had to spend an extra night in the hotel. And she wanted to be here this morning. That was her goal, uh, and she is here via technology. So hello, Morgan. Drive safe. Ten and two with your hands, right? Um, 
But let's pray for those that, uh, that, were, that were victims, that were affected. Father, we, uh, we hold up uh, people throughout our nation, Lord, in a specific way. Uh, Lord, these tornadoes that have ripped through the Midwest, uh, that have caused innumerable damage, that have taken so many lives, uh, that have affected uh, so many lives. Lord, we just pray that you would bring comfort and, and encouragement to their hearts this morning. Uh, that even through perhaps the, the pain and the misery and the confusion, the frustration, the loss, uh, maybe there's those, Lord, in that region there in the, in the Midwest that would turn to you for maybe even the first time, just like Robbie did, who, who want to know, those, Lord, that would want to know where they would spend eternity. Lord, so they would turn to you maybe for the first time. We're praying for those events. We're praying, uh, Lord, that, uh, that more people would be found, miraculously found in the midst of the rubble. Uh, we're praying, Lord, for those that are, have the very difficult task of looking and searching and, and cleaning up, Lord. Just pray that you just give them strength, encouragement, and, and comfort this morning. It's, uh, it's not an easy task to undergo. Uh, but it's one, Lord, that's, that's spawned out of and fostered out of the love of our neighbors, which is what you call us to do. And it's who you call us to be. And so we just pray for that whole area, that uh, Tennessee, Arkansas, Kentucky, Illinois, that whole region, Lord, that you just uh, blanket them with your peace this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We've been studying in the book of First Corinthians, excuse me, 1 Corinthians, and uh, last week we started into the first 11 verses of chapter 12, uh, looking at spiritual gifts. Uh, There's a lot of frustration and confusion and perhaps even division still in the church, but it was definitely there in the first century in this area of spiritual gifts, and what are they, how do they function, who has what, how does it all come together? And so the, the Holy Spirit really inspires the Apostle Paul to write this corrective letter uh, to encourage the church to follow God's design and God's purposes for all believers. And this area of spiritual gifts is one of those on that checklist of things for him to talk about that, that God wanted Paul to address in that church. One of those areas of concern was understanding and implementing these supernatural endowments, as we called them last week, Uh, that God's distributed amongst his people. There was four questions, kind of from last week. What's the difference between natural talents and spiritual gifts? Um, How do we get the gifts? We looked at some verses last week, and uh, I actually referenced those verses. And uh, who are those gifts for, and what is their function in the church? Now, if you... (laughs) I should probably address something while I'm thinking about it, that if you were here last week and you wonder, what, how much sugar is this guy eating today? Because last week I was talking really, really fast, right? It's okay to say yes. It's true. As I kind of reviewed it and had a conversation with a few different people, I asked, I said, was I, was I speaking really fast? Did I just like list off these scriptures? Bang, 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 bang. Yeah, you kind of did. Hey, if... If, that is, uh, if you're still thinking about last week and thinking about those scripture, scripture references, um, I'll get you a list, no problem. Don't be bashful about coming up and, and asking me. Um, 
about that, and I will try to purpose maybe not to talk quite so fast um, today anyway. <laughs> In any passage of Scripture, um, when a thought, a word, or a phrase is repeated, we should kind of investigate the idea there in the context. And in these first 11 verses, the ones that we talked about last week, uh, we see this word repeated seven times. It's the word same. It's the word same. Same is mentioned seven times in those first 11 verses. It's interesting that seven is kind of the biblical number for completion. Uh, God created the world in seven days and so on and so forth. There's lots of references throughout the, uh, throughout the uh, scriptures of the meaning of the word seven. Um, the key verse there in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 11, that key verse is uh, really verse 7, and I'll read it for you as we kind of tee up for today. Verse 7 says, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. And spiritual gifts are given... The, all the listings of the spiritual gifts here in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, in the book of Romans, in the book of Ephesians, and so forth, uh, all of the spiritual gifts are given so the whole of the church is going to benefit. That the whole of the church is going to benefit. So it's not just benefiting from one or two or three or four gifts that are in the body, which is largely how we kind of in, in modern culture, we've kind of viewed the church that way, that we're the recipient of just a few people's gifts. No, really, all of the gifts that are given throughout all of Christianity are to be a benefit to all of Christianity. That's the purpose, that's the statement that he has here out of verse 7, 1 Corinthians 12. And Paul ends the passage then, verse 11, he ends this passage with these words, but one in the same, there's that word again, but one in the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. That verse, verse 11, is going to kind of tie into the verse that's in your bulletins this morning because it's the same thought, it's the same idea, it's the same statement that Paul has. So Paul then pivots out of verse 11 into this big illustration and uh, let's read it in all in context, and then we'll go back through and take a look at some of the components there. So turn with me, if you will. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we're all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and all have been made to drink into the one spirit, into one spirit. <clears throat> For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it, not therefore, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? And if the whole... <clears throat> and if the whole were hearing, where would the smelling be? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, 
much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to the part which lacks it, and there should, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. That's why we just prayed for folks in the Midwest. It wasn't just to throw up some prayer to the Lord that, you know, everything would be okay. No, there's hurting people there, and there's hurting people in the body of Christ in the Midwest right now. We should be suffering with them in that sense. To finish his thought there in verse 26, he says, Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. That's exactly why we just celebrate Robbie's new conversion into the body of Christ. Because uh, uh, it's a great thing to, to, to rejoice in. And he's rejoicing, we should rejoice with him. Verse 27 says, Now you are the body of Christ and members individually, and God has appointed these in the church. First of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, after that, miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? Do all have the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues, and do all interpret? But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I will show you a more excellent way. Let's thank the Lord for his word. Father, we thank you for uh, giving us your word, instructing us and encouraging us along the way that we would understand, Lord, what your purposes are, uh, that we would gravitate and, and cling on to your purposes in life, and Lord, that uh, we would walk those out by the power of your Holy Spirit and according to your will, and we just praise you, Lord, for that. In Jesus' name, amen. As we get going today, there's, um, there's a couple of th- things. There's three things, really. There's a precept here that we're going to get started with in the early verses, and there's two misconceptions uh, along with that first precept that the Apostle Paul deals with in this passage. Let's start with the, f- with the precept first. The first precept really is the unity from variety precept. The unity from variety precept precept for as the body is one count off the number of times that number one is mentioned in this short section for as the body is one and has many members but all the members of that one body being many are one body so also is christ for by one spirit we are all baptized into one body whether jews or greeks whether slaves or free and all have been made to drink into one spirit for in fact the body is not is not one member, but many. How many did you count? <clears throat> if, you, if you took math in Chihuahua, hopefully you'd come up with seven. <laughs> you get the exemption because you're new. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, uh, Jason is a new math teacher at the high school in Chihuahua. <laughs> hey, I took math in Chihuahua, so we're all in this together. All right, seven times, actually, again, it's interesting, the number seven comes up twice in the same chapter as far as the emphasis on particular words that Paul has. Uh, Seven times is it mentioned there in in just 
uh, three verses. And three times in those same three verses, the word many is mentioned. So obviously there's an, there's an emphasis. He's trying to build this point here that Jesus is in the gathering business. I've mentioned that a few times over the last couple of weeks. He's in the gathering business, and he's gathering people from every tribe and tongue and a nation uh, to be one, to be one. That we should all come and be one, right? That's what's really celebrated. That's what's really uh, uh, adhered to. That's what changes and should change as a new believer, should change our identity, that it's not just us out there grabbing our identity from other areas of life or whatever our experience was in the past. No, we come together to be one now, one in Christ, His church, His body. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 through 18, uh, it really, this passage in Ephesians speaks of Jesus' work on the cross accomplishing just that. In Ephesians, Paul tells the church there in Ephesus, for he himself is our peace, speaking of Jesus, who has made both one. What both is he talking about? Not only has he made both one, and has, but he's broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of, of commandments contained in oracles, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, therefore putting to death the enmity. And he created, <coughs> and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near, for through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Jesus' whole plan was to bring people together, to gather under all of earth one new congregation of people that were not divided by sex, they were not divided by race, they were not divided by ethnicity, they were not divided by skin color, they weren't divided by any of those superficial things that mankind has divided itself by through all of history. All of that is washed away. And all of those to this day are still superficial arguments among men that God says, I don't want anything to do with that. Get along. And the only way that you can get along is to be in me together. So he's creating one new man out of everybody that's out there. And the way to unity and oneness is to lift up Jesus. The way to unity and oneness inside the church is by exalting Christ. The misconception here is of how unity is accomplished comes from a desire for everyone to look and to function exactly the same. On one hand, it's a celebration of all the diversity that's going on. On the other hand, there's people out there that are saying, if everybody looks exactly the same and smells the same and talks the same and, and is absolutely identical, a lot like the illustration I started last week off with all of the gifts under the tree being identical in shape and size and decoration, no variety, that's not unity. That's not unity, that's uniformity. See, the, uh, there's no miracle in that. There's no miracle in that at all. The miracle that only God can do is bringing together a variety of very different people to accomplish one mission, and that's exalting Him. 
That's God's miracle, really, in the big scheme of the story of history, is bringing together under uh, all everybody on the globe, in a sense, that would trust in Him, that would lift His name up, that would put their faith in, in Him for their sins, bringing all those people together through all of history, all of that variety with one mission in mind, and that's lifting up the Lord. That's praising Him. That's a miracle that only God can do. Okay, let's jump into two misconceptions. There's two misconceptions that Paul has in this huge illustration that he, that he lays out for us here. Uh, I have a little help from a little helper. Um, maybe this will be fun. You guys are just dying to know what's in here. It's Christmas season, so everybody wants to know what's in the bag. What's in the bag is an eventual gift for my eventual grandchild. Oops, supposed to be a surprise. I daydreamed up this idea while I was bored stiff. And then I went to Walmart and confirmed that boredness. See if I can very carefully shake this out of the package. Uh oh. I need a knife. Who's got a pocket knife? Now, the math teacher. Slicing and dicing numbers, are we? See if we can accomplish this. It may be a strange sort of a fashion. First misconception, say hello to Mr. Potato Head, say hi to everybody. I wish I was a ventriloquist, you know, you just like make his lips move, wouldn't that be weird? <laughs> the first misconception that the Apostle Paul talks about is this conception. It's the you don't need me. That's a misconception. It's the attitude or the expression or the reality that people basically just say, hey, you don't need me. It's a misconception inside the body of Christ. Where do we get that concept? Right here, look at verse 15. If the foot should say to the hand, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body. See how well Mr. Pot see how good the body does here. Oh, I don't want to break a brand new gift. Squish should never forgive me. There goes the body, footless. Because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, oh, oh, there's more parts inside. Who would have thought? It's been a long time since I played with Mr. Potato Head. Let's just put that on the record. The ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body. Is it not therefore part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? So if all of the body of Christ, I probably should not throw these parts, probably step on them. If all of the body of Christ had no ears and no feet, how in the world... Would we ever get the message of Christ anywhere? How in the world would we hear the danger coming down the tracks in life 
If we said, you know what? You don't need me. I'm just a foot. You don't need a foot. The body doesn't need to get around. I'm just an ear. The body doesn't need ears. You guys would be fine. It's a misconception, the Apostle Paul says. I need a helper to come kind of bolt this thing back together. Come here, Benjamin. You're a high IQ guy. Put that back to normal for me. Maybe button up the uh, back end, too. One of the first temptations, well, he's doing that because uh, Mr. Potato Head has an encore coming up here shortly. One of the first temptations as believers that we may encounter is to think that we are unuseful and unimportant to the rest of the church. Don't ever believe that. That's a lie from the enemy. That's a lie from the pit of hell. That somehow, because of whatever that you're thinking about, that you're not important inside the body of Christ. If you are a Christ follower, you have importance. You have a new identity. You have a new understanding of who God is and a new understanding, at least uh, in, in, in the basics, of who you are, and you are important. And the Apostle Paul is saying here, don't believe the lie that you're unnecessary. Don't believe that because your part of the body doesn't seem important that it's not important. It is important. And what you have to offer, not in and of yourself, but what you have to offer by way of spiritual gifts. Thank you there, partner. What you have to offer by the way that God has created you and gifted you is important inside the the body of Christ. So don't believe that lie that it's okay for you to just sit on the sidelines. Right? There is no retirement in God's economy. We should, be in, we should be in some sort of a ministry. We should be in some sort of a uh, multiple of relationships where you're, you're uh, engaged with other believers right towards the end, right to the end, right? It's not a I put in my 20 years deal and now I'm unimportant because my time has passed. See, in this scenario, in this scenario, the enemy brings temptation to think for all of us in that situation to think too low of ourselves. To think too low of ourselves. There's a gravity there that some of us are maybe more prone to think that way, more prone to act that way and act on those thoughts and those feelings, but it's not true. We we must resist that temptation to think that what God has done in our lives and who God has called us to be, and how God has gifted us, that's the context of chapter 12, is all about spiritual gifts, that they're not important. We must resist that temptation. We have to resist that voice, those thoughts in our lives. In fact, uh, God has intention in His creation of you, in His saving of you, in His gifting of you, in His using those gifts that He's given you. He has full intention in all of those things. It's a a blast to just try to to see how God bolts all that together and how He's using that and how He's molding and shaping people and using people. God has intention in all that. It's not random in any way. And if we think too low of ourselves, we do two things. We devalue God's intentions. We say, essentially, not only am I not important in the body, but God's intentions are not important. We devalue God's intentions, and we miss out on much of what God is preparing for us to do. 
We just kind of take a pass. We, 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 we shy away from it. We miss out on the preparation side of what God is doing because we don't think that we're important. We don't think that we're important in the big scheme of God's church. Now, the second scenario is kind of the opposite of the first. The second scenario is the I don't need you misconception. So first it's you don't need me. The second misconception here, starting in verse 20, is a conception this way, or misconception this way. It's the idea that, uh, hey, I don't need you. I don't need you. Look at verse 20. We'll just read a few verses. But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye, again, let's go back to our friendly black-hatted fella here. And the eye cannot say to the hand, hey, I don't need you. Beat it. Nor again can the head say to the feet, I don't need you. Man, the, the feet are getting, the, they're either taking themselves out or somebody else has taken them out. And what happens to the body when there's no hand and no feet? Over he goes. Right? I'll just set him down on the ground. Over he goes. Head down. I have no need of you, verse 22, but <clears throat> no, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. Who would think that stinky feet are necessary? Who would think that dirty hands are necessary? Watched a video several years ago. It was really inspiring. And I'm trying to remember the guy's name. But there's a motivational speaker that travels kind of a circuit uh, encouraging people. And this guy was born essentially with no limbs top or bottom and the things that he could accomplish the things that he overcame because of the lack thereof uh, didn't slow him down at all and <clears throat> I only bring that up because I was thinking about it the, the, can, can there be can there be if a loss of an, uh, a limb can there be some overcoming yeah there can be is it against in regard to our spiritual gifts and in regard to the body of Christ, is it what God's intentions were? Uh, to just say, hey, you're not needed. We don't need you. We don't need your gifts. You know, it's not a part of what God is doing today. Is that the, uh, the route we should go? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. In fact, Paul accentuates these weaker parts and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable on these we bestow greater honor. And our own presentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. They have no need. But God composes the body, having given greater honor to the parts which lacks it. See, the second temptation, the opposite side of saying, you don't need me, is saying, we don't need you. That's a lie as well from the pit of hell. It's a temptation to... On one hand, you have the temptation to think too low of yourself. This is the opposite. It's a temptation to think too high of ourselves. When we think too high of ourselves, we're tempted to disregard the value and necessity of others in the church. That's the bottom line. When we think too high of ourselves, we think too high of whatever God's done in our lives, when we think too high of our own spiritual giftedness, whatever God's given you to do or given me to do or whatever, when we put that way up here to, to give the message that you're not needed, 
we miss out on God's best for the church. We miss out on all that God wants to do in the church. We must resist and denounce that, that word. We must resist and, and put away that temptations. See, God's ways are not our ways, Isaiah 55 tells us. God's ways often seem backwards to human logic and reasoning, right? They seem backwards. And the Bible is full of examples from cover to cover of, of that playing out in, in real time, right? You're going to what? You're going to flood the earth? We, we've never even seen a raindrop. Doesn't seem possible. What? You want us to march and to blow horns and to sing, you know, and walk around a city and that's going to bring down the rocks? That's going to bring down... It doesn't seem possible. It doesn't seem possible. What? The nation of Israel is backed up against this, you know, Red Sea and nowhere to go and the, the Egyptians are barreling in on us. What are we going to do? It doesn't seem possible that there's an answer. But with God, everything's possible. And we can't think so highly of ourselves that we're willing to disregard what God is doing in other people. Not in any way. First Corinthians tells us that he built, or he, Paul uses this word, composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it. And the reason why, and it seems kind of crazy to read through, but the sense is, is that here's where it is, that there's no schism in the body. Now, <clears throat> if you're any younger than I am, you wonder what schism is, and you wonder if it's contagious, right? You wonder, is, 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 that, is that some kind of allergic reaction? <laughs> a, schism, a schism really means separation. It means division. That's what a schism is. When people are in conflict and there's division in their relationship, that's what the old-fashioned word schism means. That there's a break. There's an there's a unhealthy parting of ways, so to speak. That's what schism means. God composed the body to really to put down, to put down selfish division, quarrels, fights, and to elevate, the word says, to elevate unity and the care of one another. Read the rest of the sentence with me here. It says, uh, but there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. The same care, the same care that we would give ourselves. That we should treat others in that same likeness. In James 4, chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, reveal <clears throat> where these selfish divisions, quarrels, fightings come from. They really come from unmet expectations. Perhaps you would say unhealthy expectations. Where James says this, he says, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desire, from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss unmet expectations you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures this idea of schism that Paul talks about here is to put be put down and God's created diversity in the body not to accentuate division because each individual variety would be accentuated and lifted up but he creates a variety so that we 
body of Christ would come together like a big bouquet on the table and make the whole table look beautiful. And that draws people to a beautiful table. Think back to Thanksgiving or thinking forward to Christmas. People are drawn to one and kind of come together around that bouquet, around that centerpiece. And what do we do? We dine and we visit and we enjoy the dinner. We enjoy one another's company. We're thankful for the variety of, of who's there and what's there to have. And there's kind of that centerpiece, but there's tons of variety. And God's intention seems backwards. You would think that in the natural sense that if you want unity, you would create uniformity so everybody was identical. That for, therefore, nobody would be different and stand out and cause problems. And God says, I'm not working that way. I'm not working that way. I want the passionate worship of those that would respond to my outstretched arm. Not the forced or contrived worship of the masses because they're robotic. He didn't do it that way. He did it the first way around. He wants our response to him. That's what he's looking for. That comes through the sense of variety. That comes through intentionally putting down division in the body, caring for one another, it's a misconception to think that I don't need you. It's a misconception to think that you don't need me. And Paul goes on to summarize then. He goes on to summarize now with this statement. Now you are the body of Christ. You are the body of Christ. You are. I'm part of that. In fact, it would be much easier just to be down here, just take a seat. Let's just talk about this. I'll sit by Josiah because he's one of my favorites. Right? And we're just all together. Right? We're just all together. There's nobody up on them. This elevated platform gives a lot of misconception in the church today, actually. It gives a lot of misconception. You are the body, the body of the living God, the body of Christ. And you're also members individually. But what's highlighted here is the body of Christ. He's bringing members together. He's bringing individuals together. He's bringing them into the body. It doesn't mean that we all wear the same clothes and we all have a, wear the same black hat and the men all have the same beard style. It's not that. It's a simple fact that he brings, he wants, and he desires variety that doesn't squabble, that doesn't fight. And to be without pieces, and to say that that's the answer, to be without pieces is to be less than what God has created. It's to be less than whichever misconception then you're prone to or I'm prone to. And to clarify then this summary statement, the Apostle Paul dives back into God's work in building in the church. Verse 28 says, and God has appointed these to the church. Now, <clears throat> I will tell you ahead of time, uh, last week's sermon covered several of these, so some of these are repeated here in chapter 12, but some of them are fresh topic, and we'll spend a little bit more time on them than the others. Uh, but he says this, and God's appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, and a variety of tongues. So he lists kind of this additional list of gifts 
Not additional in the sense that they're less than the first. But he just lists out a few more to give a little more body to his whole context of chapter 12. The first one he lists here is the apostles. The apostles. It means the sent one. It means the sent one. Jesus was sent by the Father. We look in Mark chapter 9 verse 37 for that reference. Jesus clearly sent. And not only was he sent, but he chose men. He chose men as disciples, teached and trained them for three years, and then sent them out. So then they became the apostles. And he sent them out for one purpose only, and it can be really summarized this way. Continue what I started. Right? Continue what I started. Just, just carry on. Just carry on to kind of give you that you know, summary statement. Until I come back, just keep moving forward. Just stay with what I taught you. Keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. So God gifted in that sense the body, gifted the church with these initial leaders, those, <clears throat> those that uh, spent time with Jesus, that witnessed the resurrected Jesus, uh, those men that would then go out and, and do that initial work, uh, the Apostle Paul being added to that group, uh, as he calls himself one that's abnormally born, uh, so on and so forth. The second, the second one listed here, prophets, we talked about that last week, and so I'll move through, I'll give you the same uh, footnote that I had from last week. The prophets, the telling forth of God's message in a particular situation, and always in accord with his word and his current work. Sometimes this has the character of foretelling the future, as in the example we saw in Acts chapter 21, verses 10 through 11, where Agabus is demonstrating uh, Paul's pending imprisonment. That was from last week, I shared that. Uh, Agabus kind of went through this, this, you know, uh, this little demonstration of, of what God was telling him would happen to the Apostle Paul there in Acts chapter 21. The next one, teachers. Teachers... And teaching was an honored calling amongst the Jews, and teaching characterized much of Jesus' ministry. You can look at Matthew chapter 5 or Matthew 11, Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to Luke chapter 4, verse 15, John chapter 7. Uh, the apostles were known for their teaching. Uh, you can see that reference in Acts chapter 5, verses 21 through 28. Uh, teaching is a critical component. There are those that are gifted at teaching, and there's those that have to work hard sometimes at, at teaching. But there's a component where if, you're, <clears throat> if you kind of have that natural aptitude, and I, I want to talk about that side of it first, kind of that natural aptitude, or, or maybe it's a spiritual gift that God's given you to teach. There's a component there where where Inside of you wells up this thing that you have a sense that you want to connect. That you, that you want to, and you, you want to make sure that the people that you're teaching understand it's not just the transfer of information. It's a connection of a relationship and it goes beyond just transferring information from brain to brain, so to speak. It comes down to them really uh, grasping and understanding and, and gravitating towards whatever is being taught and with the wisdom that follows with that. 
with the biblical understanding that goes with that. That's, that's that component of, uh, of teaching. Uh, and I think that, I, I fully believe uh, that the, uh, the, the church has, and this church has, uh, that type of people. Now, there's a second thing that I wanted to talk about just because I feel like this is maybe a little bit more of the category that I kind of fall into. <clears throat> and that is, is how teaching relates to you learning the scriptures uh, that most people don't embrace, but that I believe we should all embrace. And that's this idea. Statistically, you have the greatest retention in any subject if you're learning it to teach somebody else. If you're just listening, just reading, the, the, I brought up these statistics, they're in a sermon from, I don't know, maybe six months ago, but it's, it's true. Uh, the highest rate of retention is when we're, when we're grappling with principles, when we're studying a subject, when we're trying to lock it down with the goal of sharing that with somebody else. That's how we actually learn in the greatest capacity. That's true in the church as well. And Hebrews tells us, he says, by now, the, the writer of Hebrews says, by now, many of you should be teachers, but you're still drinking the milk. You haven't matured. You haven't moved on to the spot where you could teach somebody else. But you should have. There's a natural expectation of spiritual growth in that way. And all of us should really embrace this idea of being able to share the Bible with somebody else at whatever level, one-on-one, small group, Sunday school, whatever, home group, you name it, whatever it is, even to the point of being here. I don't have any lockdown on this. And I want you to know that our church is, is we are trying to work harder in this particular area, but it's a hard one for, the, for all of us to grasp and really gravitate towards. One other thing, I'll give an example. Uh, he didn't know I was going to talk about it today. But I've watched over the last couple of years Pete Whittakin do this on our Wednesday Night Awana group with the TNT class. He'll have, and other people in Awana are doing the same thing, he'll have, over the course of a season, Awana season, he'll have those high schoolers that are LITs, and he'll work with them on a lesson. He'll kind of help lay it out and then <laughs> turn them loose, you know. And if there's something goes sideways, you know, there's help there to, to make it work. But they will learn much faster and with a lot more depth if they're learning something to teach somebody else. It's a critical component that can't be lost. It's also a spiritual gift. I think that that way of working and, and, and operating as a church really kind of helps kind of flesh out in a way and expose uh, the spiritual gift of, of teaching. Um, but I think everybody should embrace that commercials over how about the gift of miracle worker we mentioned that last week the acts of power uh, this describes when the holy spirit chooses to override the laws of nature uh, <clears throat> and all through the bible especially in jesus time that we see recorded in the gospels we see these uh, miracle uh, these 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 acts of power being expressed in nature uh, intentionally with a purpose to, to, for people to glorify God. It wasn't just a cool parlor trick. It was to 
glorify and demonstrate that the God of the universe, the God of creation has now come in human form. Uh, heads up, pay attention. This is important. So the miracle worker, the next one, we spoke about this last week too, is the gifts of healing. This is God's healing power either given or received and has been repeatedly documented, of course, as well through the New Testament. And since then, um, even in the Old Testament actually. The gift of helps, the gift of spiritual gift of helps, and this has in mind those who uh, are, are helping other people, literally. Uh, they're there to assist, they're, they're helping others in doing the work of the Lord, the work of ministry. Um, they're limited only by the kinds of needs that people have. That's a pretty wide swath when you stop and think about that sentence. The gifts of health is only limited by the kinds of needs that other people would have. Through the centuries, the church has ministered to people from every class and culture. Uh, they've ministered to vulnerable people, children, the poor, the sick, uh, abused, prisoners, people with various kinds of disabilities, alcoholics, drug addicts, ur urban gang members. I just My listing just kind of goes on and on, and you get the point. The list really is endless when it comes to the spiritual gifts of help. But there's a sense in which the person that has that gift of help kind of just is there to with the next thing that that person needs. They have this sense of, I don't know if you call it intuition or whatever, I think it's kind of supernatural uh, insight. It's like if, if, if I had the gift of helps, right, and I'm helping Bill Shook with something, like I'm there kind of thinking, what's Bill need next? What does he need next in what we're accomplishing? Oh, he needs this. Here you go, Bill. Oh, thanks. You know, and it's just that, it's just that idea, and, 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 and uh, churches are full of them. People really that probably have the spiritual gift of helps that don't really realize it, but they just love to be there to be an assistant. They're not there for glory. They're not there to be in the front. They're there to just be there to literally help out. And the next one is the gift of administration. The Greek word there, kybernesis, the word has to do with piloting or directing, has to do with management. You see it, uh, it's similar, not the exact same Greek word, but it's similar to uh, what we see in Acts 27, speaking of the captain of the ship uh, <coughs> that eventually crashed. Um, administration is the gift of taking charge and steering a ship or an organization wisely. To do this well, a person needs vision, courage, respect for people. Self-discipline and uh, maybe more than just a bit of maturity would be nice, <laughs> right? Uh, that gift of administration. Uh, <clears throat> most of my years as a believer, um, I know very few people with the gift of administration that didn't, sh that, that weren't tempted to kind of really kind of run over people with that gift. And so, a lot of times when you have uh, uh, there's a temptation to over-administrate. Uh, very, very few people, in my experience anyway, and it's not a reason to shy away from uh, people with the gift of administration. I think that it's extremely needed in the church. Extremely needed in the church. Uh, <clears throat> we believe that uh, David Watlin, sitting out here, has the gift of administration. Uh, can David be <laughs> forceful at times? Yeah. I've been a recipient of that. 
But as a general rule, as a general rule, uh, what you guys don't see on a Sunday morning has a lot to do with his gift of administration being played out over the course of the week and what God has, has gifted him in that area. And I'm not saying that to just, you know, give compliments to Dave, although he could probably use a couple. But, uh, but it really is true, and, and we talk about it as a board. We, we, we appreciate what God has done in his life and who God's made him to be and, uh, and how that gift plays out. The, uh, the wisdom, uh, the guidance, the, the sense of he keeps us organized as an elder board and, and a combined board of elders and deacons. He keeps us kind of up to date and informed uh, and so that when we show up to, to, to meet and discuss things, you know, we're, we, can, we can hit the ground uh, running, as it were, and um, it's really, really super helpful um, beyond just my opinion that it's helpful. It's really played out well. The last one that the Apostle Paul talks about here in this passage is the gift of tongues, and we talked about that last week, and we're going to talk about it more and in 1 Corinthians, by the time we get to chapter 14. But tongues is a personal language of prayer uh, given by God, whereby the believer can communicate with God beyond the limits of uh, uh, knowledge and understanding. Um, <clears throat> of all of the gifts, the two that seem to bring up the most angst in the church is the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy. Uh, and I'm not going to go dive deep into it. I talked a little bit about that last week. Um, I'm just going to leave them where they are, right? And the Apostle Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives a lots of instruction specifically about these two. And uh, I don't want to uh, dive too deep into where we're going to be going after the holidays here as far as sermons go. Uh, but uh, check it out. Read, read up in advance. And Paul concludes chapter 12 with these words. He asks these kind of rhetorical questions. He says, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, do all have the gift of healings, and do all speak with tongues, or do all interpret? And he says these words at the very end that tee up the next chapter real nicely. He says, but earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I will show you a more excellent way. Earnestly desire the best gifts, and I'm going to show you uh, that more excellent way. Paul's encouragement is to not only seek the gifts, but to engage in their use for the glory of God. And not only for the glory of God, but for the building of the church as well. For the edification, for the encouragement of the church, we should seek and exercise the gifts that God has given to each one of us. And God clearly wants us to avoid the temptations and the traps that would separate and divide the church. Those things that would tempt us to isolate either ourselves or one another. We can't pull the limbs off of the body. Well, we can't remove ourselves as a limb of the body. Not in any way. We need to push beyond that. And not only do we need to push beyond that, we need to be rightly motivated then in the using of our supernatural gifts and not out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, as Philippians 2 tells us, but to be rightly motivated by these three things that we'll study next week, faith, hope, and love. 
Those are the mo- that's the motivation behind uh, what God is, how God has gifted you. Those, that should be the right motivation. Faith, hope, and love should be the engine that fuels your spiritual gift and the use of it in the body of Christ. Faith, hope, and love. 1 Corinthians 13 is the gifts motivation chapter. If the worship team wants to come on back up, we'll close with our last song. Thinking forward to 1 Corinthians 13, I was thinking that oftentimes uh, I I couldn't tell you how many uh, weddings I've been to where this was read. And I don't think it's out of place at a wedding. Not at all. I think that it really applies to our marriages and to our families. Uh, But in the context of what the the Apostle Paul is writing here, it's, it's, it's the motivation for us to express our spiritual gifts beyond our marriages, definitely true, beyond our families, but it's definitely true there too. It's the motivation, he's bringing up the motivation of how and why we should exercise the gifts that God has given us in and amongst the greater body of Christ. That's why it's the gift motivation chapter. If you would rise and sing along with our last song. Raise your voices to the Lord. Out sing Mr. Potato Head as we lift our voices.